Hey guys, welcome to Hangout Talks Episode 3. I'm Peter, the student marketer, and with my co-host, Tret from Mr. Goodall. And today we want to welcome Mr. Kirby Allison from the Hanger Project. He helps the well-dressed take care of their wardrobe. He's well known on YouTube and IG, amassing over 140,000 followers. With all that said, let's hang out. Welcome everybody that's listening. Uh, we want to welcome Kirby Allison of the Hanger Project to Hangout Talks, the one and only Kirby Allison. The Hanger Project aims to helping the well-dressed care for their wardrobe while exploring the world of quality, craftsmanship, and tradition. And Kirby amassed more than 101,000 on YouTube subscribers right now, more than 30,000 on Instagram. Welcome Kirby Anderson. Um, man, like I, you're at home right now in Dallas. Uh, Kirby, joining? Yeah, well, you know, actually, I'm at work um, in Dallas. Okay. Um, you know, we we kind of uh, work in this little warehouse mail order loophole, luckily, that they worked into ah. the stay-at-home ban here in Dallas. I mean, everyone in the office is working from home and remotely. Uh, we've got our warehouse here, thankfully, that's still able to ship, so we're operating. Uh, we're actually shipping orders in lightning speed because uh, the business is down a little bit. And we haven't laid anyone off. Um, so we're even out shipping Amazon at the moment, um, which I guess is a silver lining in all of this. But uh, so we still come in. I mean, we're doing these daily live streams, you know, on our YouTube channel to kind of help us get through this. I mean, you know, it's like, what do you do in a moment of crisis? You kind of step into it and just try to, you know, be as positive as you can. And so that was the idea for the live streams. And, you know, it's been really kind of nice. I mean, other without this absent, the, you know, the coronavirus kind of crisis, mm-hmm you know, we probably wouldn't be doing these right now. And they've really proven to be a great way to just engage and connect mm-hmm. with our audience and continue to do what we love, which is explore the world of quality craftsmanship and tradition. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, we, so anyway, so that's that up right now, you know, that and homeschooling the children every morning. <laughs> yeah. Eating. So those are, are your posts that they're, they're pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the Instagram is a real life glimpse into the, you know, uh, into my life it's uh you know not very uh you know groomed or i mean it's yeah you know, it's real stuff and so there's a few pictures <laughs> in the morning you know from the kids no it's, it's is, perfect uh, especially all like all on my plate especially on youtube you don't see that a lot of that side of like anybody you know like i let everybody in shows like their beautiful side but it's great to see like you know to show that everybody you're a normal you know individual who's into the world of luxury and trying to help everyone explore it as well and you've done really well with that life i think i followed you about like a year year and a half ago and slowly your travels to london were were amazing and seeing you know you're bringing different people in shoe shining bought a few products from your shoe shine from with saphir shoe care products those were really nice um getting into that and yeah in your interviews with hugo jacobe and uh, luca rubinacci were astounding and they they're very insightful so yeah well, I'm I'm really thankful and privileged to kind of know those guys and for them to take time out to kind of chat with us. And, you know, the whole I mean, the fundamental premise of kind of what I we do here at the Hanger Project is is really just sharing our passion with other people that, you know, share that same passion. And that is, you know, quality craftsmanship and tradition. I mean, of course, in kind of clothing and classic menswear, uh, but really, you know, in things so much more than that. I mean, cigars. I mean, it's really kind of a lifestyle more than anything else. And that's what makes this easy is, um, you know, we're not really, you know, we're not selling, uh, you know, ice Eskimos. <laughs> I mean, you know, what we do, 
share our passions and connect with people that uh, have a mutual interest. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know um, just looking over everything, it, it looks like you were in a different career before Hangar Project. Um, so it started a little bit uh, different journey. Like everybody has a different journey. Like we had Dr. Shaw on last week and he was talking about journey. And I, I believe yours is very interesting too. It's, and it's, it, it relates to a lot of people because you went from that, uh, I, I don't know if it's like you want to call it nine to five because I know it's consulting. So you're always on, but um, how your journey yeah. progressed to where you are at now? Could you let the audience know and let us know a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I studied finance and economics at the University of Texas at Austin. And so, yeah, I was like, you know, a purebred mm, business track, you. if you will. And, um, you know, so, I, you know, I kind of always expected to do, you know, I was in the honors program and in the honors program, it was like either did two things, management consulting or investment banking. Like that was kind of it. And, um, you know, so all throughout college, that's kind of what I saw as my trajectory. And, you know, there were a few things kind of random that just happened that really kind of altered my arc, if you will. You know, I'd always been interested in classic menswear. I mean, for whatever reason, you know, you know since I was a teenager, I mean, just the idea of having something made today by hand, the same way that it was made 50 or 100 years ago, just always was like... Uh, you know, there was a certain romance in that that just always connected with me. And so in college, I kind of was always interested in classic menswear. And, you know, all my counselors and teachers, everyone kind of knew that about me. And so in college, instead of taking art history, which at the University of Texas is like you and 500 other students in an auditorium, uh, instead of taking that, I actually was able to petition for a, uh, to substitute a graduate level theater and arts, a course in costume design and tailoring. So I actually took a tailoring class in college that, um, that really gave me a profound appreciation in a very real way for everything that goes into a handmade mm. garment. Uh, and it was, it was amazing. Like, I mean, it's just in a really kind of analog, granular way, I developed this appreciation um, and truly respect uh, for uh, bespoke tailoring. And of course, I mean, it was exceptionally difficult. It probably was the hardest class I took in all of college. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I very was quick to say, you know, this isn't something I would ever do for a living. I'd be happy to pay someone to do it for me. And so whenever I graduated college, I, I took kind of all my graduation money and bought my first custom mm -hmm. suit uh, from it that I'd mm -hmm. have, um, gotten to know and gotten to know in Austin. Mm -hmm. And it came on a plastic hanger. It just kind of seemed disappointing. <laughs> so, you know, I graduated college uh, and so it was either go do investment banking in New York uh, or come to Dallas and do, um, you know, bankruptcy consulting, management mm -hmm. consulting. And so I came to Dallas just because, you know, I grew up in Texas. I'm from Texas. I love this state. I knew that I always ultimately would be back here. So, you know, why go spend a few years in New York uh, whenever I could just come here and just get on with it? So, so that's what I did. This was like, what, 2007, no, 2005, 2006, 2007, after I graduated college. And so, you know, I'm at my first job doing bankruptcy consulting and, you know, there weren't any companies going bankrupt. Like, I mean, it just was like before the mm. crisis mm -hmm. as they were staffing up. Yeah. And you felt and like so, they drained you a little bit or? Well, just, I mean, what do you do whenever you don't have anything to do? You kind of do what you would do anyway. And so that was... Yeah, me on the internet, kind of tooling around on Ask Andy about clothes and the style form. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
I was venting one day about how much I lamented this plastic hanger uh, <laughs> and a bunch of other people chimed in and agreed. And that kind of, that was kind of the genesis of the hanger project. Ah, okay. Uh, and so, you know, it was uh, really, it was literally a group buy of a bunch of people on the internet that didn't know one another, but kind of all shared these similar interests to have a better hanger made. And I basically told the guys, I said, look, uh, I don't have any money, so I can't like pay for these, uh, but I have time. And so I can go out and find someone to make these for us. And I can kind of coordinate and manage this for everyone. Uh, but you guys are going to have to, you know, kind of pony up your cash in advance. And so that's kind of how the hanger project started. It literally was the hanger project. It was a project to have. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very cool. Cause you know, usually business ideas come out from, you know, very, very interesting ways. Like even for me and Tret, we were talking about hangout talks. We weren't talking about at the time, but all of a sudden we were walking down university of Denver where we just grabbed coffee. And then we're, we were literally just hanging out and then we're like, why not make a podcast about us just hanging out with different people, talking with different people and their experiences, just like catching up with friends. And then here, here yeah. we are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's great. And so, I mean, I always said that, you know, the hangar project never would have started if I had a myopic uh, kind of, uh, you know, idea of what I was going to do in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people have a very myopic singular vision for like what their career is going to be or what they want to do. And, you know, I admire those people for having focus and um, and uh, discipline, but that just was never me. And so, you know, the Hangar Project was literally just a side gig that kind of started on the side. It was a little bit of extra spending money whenever I just graduated college. Mm -hmm. You know, really, uh, I never had the intention that it would full, turn into a full-time career. And, you know, here I am. I mean, it's been, you know, what, 13 years later? Yeah. Like, I'm... Uh, and I'm pretty sure with that transition, you probably face a lot of challenges, right? Like with trans other than financial, of course, but like there's, did you find yourself encountering other challenges as you're transitioning and having this as a side project while you're working consulting and everything too as well? You know, I got lucky in that, um, you know, there were a few things that happened that really kind of opened the door for me to quit and do this full time without a lot of risk. You know, we had a article in the Wall Street Journal that was written about us that like just generated a ton of business and then Esquire magazine wrote about us. And so I kind of had those, those wins to kind of ride off of for a while. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that entrepreneurship at the end of the day is not rational. Mm -hmm. And so I think that had I been wiser or smarter, I probably never would have done this because I think any rational person would be like, you know, <laughs> who on earth is going to start <laughs> Uh, on the internet, like normal people don't do that because like it's not rational. And um, so, you know, I think it, there was a little bit of naivete uh, in the beginning. And I think that, you know, the first year was me thinking I was a hotshot and knew what I was doing. The second year was like me kind of slowly coming to terms and realizing that I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, the third year was me panicking and saying, oh, my God, how am I going to actually earn a living? And then starting at like year four, I'd say that I actually started building a business. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. But yeah, did you like, did it feel like you, it affected family while you were doing all this as well? Like, especially out of college, you were just working for a couple of years and this kind of yeah. you decided to take on the Hangar Project. Like, yeah, I mean, luckily, I didn't have children at the time. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you could afford to like not make a lot yeah. of money. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, I bet. 
which is kind of the reality of it. Um, uh-huh. You know, not that I'm like, you know, crushing it right now, but um, so, you know, it's like with all things, I mean, you know, you, you are kind of oblivious <clears throat> to, you know, a lot of your constraints. I mean, we're all limited by our knowledge. It's, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I think a lot of business is really kind of encountering and, you know, what it is that you don't know, you don't know. And then saying, oh, well, you know, I need to learn that. I guess with um, speaking of just like all those challenges too as well and just your transition, how I went to like year four, why you found that um, when you feel like yourself trending uphill now, no matter speaking, but if somebody's like, when somebody's listening to this, what advice would you give them like as you're going through this? Uh, Because I know it went up to year four and with all the challenges and then just being open mind, like you said too as well, not like having just a single minor, like I'm doing this. Um, what would be your advice for that person that is maybe seeking the same thing? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, seek out as much help and guidance as possible. I mean, I, I, I really wish I would have aggressively sought out mentors mm, earlier. Okay. And people with the uh, experience and perspective to really say, you know what, this is what I would do, you know, consider this, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, <clears throat> it probably would have prevented a lot of my early mistakes. I wish I would have traveled sooner uh, because, you know, through travel, you expose yourself to new ideas and new people. Mm. And uh, I think for probably a little bit too long, I just was, you know, content to just kind of stay in Dallas. I really, you know, I, it took me a while to kind of like really get out there into the world. Um, and then I think people need to, I mean, it's kind of hard to do this, I suppose, but um, step back and see. I mean, it's hard to see yourself as someone that's different than you, than who you are at the moment, right? And so, yeah. you know, in the beginning, I said, well, you know, I mean, all I do is sell hangers. I didn't see myself as a garment mm, care company. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I saw myself, finally, whenever I was like, oh, we're a garment care company, I didn't see myself as like a shoe care company. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, you know, I was like garment care and shoe care. But, you know, are we really, um, you know, selling clothing accessories or are we a lifestyle? I mean, it's like so, you know, I feel like each mm-hmm. progressive jump in one's personal evolution in business is a real function of just kind of their mental model that they use to think about themselves. And the moment that you you shift or transition that to think much more broadly and all of a sudden you open yourself up to a much larger opportunity set uh, and uh, possibilities. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, it's very true. And especially like, like you said earlier, like one of the things you wish you did earlier was just travel. And then I think it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because for me, like, especially like traveling, it just opens your minds up to a lot of things. I know as a young age, I traveled to Vietnam a lot. And then for me that in a way, like when we talk about craftsmanship, it's, craftsmanship is amazing over there i've always kind of grown up with like that tailored clothing bespoke made clothing and like things like that you don't see a lot here in america mostly it's usually just like off the peg or off the rack if you will yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's i mean i always i mean it's like i've got a kindred spirit with uh, with europe and mm-hmm. you know whenever i as i travel there i just i really feel at home and you know, there's a certain kind of value to kind of connecting with those things that fill you up with energy and kind of inspire you. And so, you know, I really love going to Europe. I'm actually supposed to be in London right now for the World Championship of Shoemaking, uh, for which I'm a judge. Uh-huh. Oh, man. So it's a little, a little kind of, uh, you know, sad to like not be there right now because, mm-hmm. 
you know, I've just, you know, I really wish I was there. <laughs> no, it would have been fun. And is just speaking of London, is London one of your places to visit in uh, when you travel? Or you know, so whenever I'm in Europe, I mean, really, I go to two places: it's London and Paris. And uh, okay. you know, I love both so much. You know, for like different reasons, and um, you know, it kind of is what it is. So you know, anytime I'm there, I usually fly into London. I take the train across the the you know, the channel to uh, Paris and then I fly out of Paris. It's kind of my routine. Okay. Any recommendations of like good places that you, you like to go eat, eat, eat or anything like, especially in France. Cause I don't think you covered a lot about like good places in France that you specifically. Like. Yeah. You know, I I mean, a lot in London. Gosh, my, um, you know, I've got a whole list of restaurants, you know, I've got my kind of like go-to list for these places that I've kind of developed over the years. I mean, London, I normally, I stay kind of around the St. James's area, uh, which mm -hmm. is just kind of a stone throws from the Ritz and from Buckingham Palace. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Wilton's I love. I always stop at Davidoff of London for a cigar, um, you know, Rules, the Ivy, I mean, uh, you know, there's a little shepherd's pie place I love to go to right at the end of um, at the kind of the foot of Savile Row. Um, you know, I mean, it's you kind of accumulate these places over time. Anyone that's interested, they could always find me on Instagram and uh, direct message me. I'm, I've got the list, <laughs> yeah. you know, ready to copy one um, just because, you know, it's those small kind of out of the way places. Uh you know, mm -hmm. through other people's recommendations and then just through your own experience that you kind of develop and that become kind of a part of how you travel. And, you know, there's certain places I go eat at that, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be going to London if I didn't have a cigar at Davidoff or if I didn't go, you know, yeah, you know, have a drink at this particular place, you know. Mm -hmm. No, and that's, that's the beauty of traveling, especially you take things day by day and then that kind of like is you know, it leads you discovering these new places that have a significant value for you that's what i found at least when i'm like traveling especially in, for example traveling in vietnam day to day you're not thinking about like oh i want to go to fancy rest restaurant in vietnam but you're just like probably stopped by a small street vendor and then here you are you're like oh this is actually amazing that actually becomes like a really good place that when you visit yeah one of the things i look forward to a travel is really i'm not a touristy person mm -hmm. like i I mean, yeah. there's like tourist sites in London and Paris I've never been to that someone would be like, I mean, how have you not been there? That's like the top 10 of any tourist's yeah. list. And, uh, you know, whenever I travel to a city, I mean, I really enjoy just meeting people and developing friends. And I mean, I think that's one of the virtues of traveling with business is that it gives you someone to interact with. And um, I enjoy kind of experiencing the culture of a city like through its people more than like going and seeing the Churchill war rooms. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And I completely agree with you. Yeah. On and that. yeah, it's a great way to yeah, travel when you're just, I'm not going to follow this guide. I'm going to listen to people that actually live here and what they recommend, what it's like authentic, like uh, that kind of traveling. That's what I'm kind of like reminds me of just like, I'm going to be authentic when I travel, not just like look up a travel channel and just go through the recommendation, which sometimes are good too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little catch-22. It's a double-edged sword. I think, you know, the travel guides and everything, they exist for a reason because there's certain kind of 
you know, hot spots. But I think if you're too focused on trying to hit everything on the travel guide, you're running around <laughs> crazy, you know, darting from like one side to oh, another, yeah. before, <laughs> then you actually end up never experiencing the city. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and again, I think it's a, one of the virtues of traveling for business is the fact that it gives you people to interact with that, you know, that there's a reason behind it. That's not like, here I am, you know, a tourist and you're a tour guide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, traveling straight for tourism in a city where you don't know anyone, you know, can, mm-hmm. I'm sure it'd be a lot more difficult. Yeah. And, and with all the yeah, traveling absolutely. that you do too, as well. And well, of course, not right now. Nope. Um, yeah, well, I wish right now, but no. not right now. But like, uh, <laughs> what does your typical day look like? Is it, uh, without the traveling, is that you're still moving around, going to the office, and such like that too, as well? Yeah, I mean, here it's um, you know, going to the office. I mean, you know, we do a lot of video production. All that is inherently done in the okay. office. Um, so you know, right now it's wake up and homeschool the kids for a few hours, and then you know, try to escape to the office. Um, to do our live streams that we've been doing. I mean, shoot, I think it's six days a week uh, now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I mean, if anything, our production schedule has increased. Um, So, Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, I mean, look, if we we knock out one live stream and then I have a little bit of time to do some work on the computer, I feel like it's a success. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I guess what what keeps you motivated with everything? I know you're adapting, which is awesome too. For like just hearing about like how your business, you're, I'm just gonna adapt to the time. I'm not gonna sit here and wait. Um, I, what is your motivation to keep on pushing every day, even if it's, uh, changing and everything like that? You know, good. That's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know. I have necessity. It's like you know, if we don't operate, we go out of business. Yeah. You know, it's like I mean. It's like, you know, I think mm-hmm. that a lot of adaption is done out of necessity more than anything else. And so, um, you know, we just kind of do what we have to do. I mean, a lot of it's, of course, a virtue of just kind of what I love. I mean, the, the Kirby Allison, I mean, the Hangar Project is really at the end of the day, a manifestation of me. Mm. So it's like, well, I don't know. What do I find interesting? What would I want to talk to, you know, and then mm-hmm. just try to channel that as productively as possible. Mm-hmm. And then as you kind of like go through kind of, is it, you know, it started more of as a passion, but as you got deeper and deeper into the business side, do you feel that passion still there a little bit? Or like, do you look forward to going to work for that? Yeah, I mean, or now you've diminished. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, and... look, I mean, I'd always say that the larger your business becomes, the more normal it is. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, whenever I yeah. first started and I didn't have any employees and it was just me, I was like, ah, oh, it's great. You know, I don't have to go to the office. There's no FaceTime. <laughs> Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I can work from home whenever I want to. Uh, but then you get employees and you're like, no, like I need to go to the office because they need to see me there and I need to set the tone and the pace. Um, mm-hmm. So it definitely is still work. But, you know, there's a, I mean, there's way worse ways to earn a living. You know, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm certainly grateful for what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, would you say that's like your why too as well? Just like uh, you said, it's an extension of you, of course. And I guess you're why that you're like, man, I'm going to keep going like behind all of this. Um, would you say your why keeps you going? Oh, yeah. I mean, your why is, uh, I think, incredibly important. Otherwise, you just kind of get stale. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, you just lose motivation. Um, I mean, I have the same um, 
you know, struggles everyone does where you just kind of sometimes you get tired, sometimes you're in a slump, you know. Um, and then, you know, for me, I find that people really motivate me. Like I am really energized by people. I and mean, what I love is you know, meeting with these craftspeople and sharing their stories, which is, you know, really at the end of the day, I mean, we're just a conduit to allow and enable these people to share their stories with other people. I mean, just like I find it interesting. I mean, we try to then, you know, kind of pass that through and share it with other people that are just as interested uh, in these things as I am. Yeah. Like with that being being said, like, you know, with all that balance and stuff, it's, you know, amazing how you've, you've gone, gone where you are, like, especially like, you, when you started, did you did you have kids? No, I mean, it was a while after the hanging yeah, project, sure. or was it during that time? So, again, if I knew then what I knew now, I mean, boy, it'd be different. I wish I could go back. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely enjoy that. I mean, you know, I mean, for work, I get to have, you know, live chats with people that are like cool people doing interesting stuff. I mean, it didn't get any better than that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, and it's, it's very cool. Like, you just, I can't like, you know, it's a job that you can't go to and you feel like, okay, like I can have a little bit of fun of it, of this, but you know, like at the same time, like it comes, it goes with like everything else. You kind of have to find, find a little bit where you're happy with, bring your passion in with everything as well. And then um, just a quick, for another question, I say like, especially with your previous work, did you bring any of that into the career that you have now? Especially it's more like a financial consulting I mean, I would say that there's no question that, um, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that I see in kind of younger people today is that they don't really acquire enough, like, real skills of, like, being able to do things. Like, I mean, I knew HTML. I knew how to really use Microsoft Excel. I really knew how to use Microsoft. Like, there were a lot of things that I could do. And it was, like, that Mm -hmm. foundation and that kind of created a resourcefulness that I could draw on to basically start and run my business. I mean, you know, we have like, you know, I mean, like, you know, be lookups for inventory reorder worksheets. I mean, you know, for the longest time, you know, we reordered our inventory based off of a worksheet with be lookups, you know, I mean, you know, being able to build those things uh, certainly were a product of, you know, my education um, and my early work, you know, basically as an Excel spreadsheet monkey. Oh, is it very true? Because I think the biggest thing is um, a lot of us, I think even for me, I'm, my background's in marketing, but now, especially I think seeing our generation network is so, it's become really saturated where we try to pick little things from everything, but that foundation is not solid is what I see. And then that research, looking back into research, understanding everything, where to go, you know, taking the extra mile to go explore something. It's not there as yeah. I mean, what I always tell people is like, you know, in your first job, people hire you to actually do something. So like, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. like, sure. you know, how great your scores were in abstract marketing. Like if, if you can't use yeah, Photoshop exactly. in order to like edit an image to post on Instagram, like you don't have any value, you know, or if you can't mm-hmm. use a camera to take good pictures, then guess what? It's your first marketing job. Like, you know, no one's going to, no one's going to want to teach you how to like, you know, what the difference is between an F-stop and an aperture. You know, it's like, you know, you need to have that no, foundation so that whenever you have your first opportunity, you can actually do something. Uh, and of course, you know, that mm. theoretical kind of abstract knowledge you build on is what you build on top of with. But um, mm-hmm. 
be able to do something. Absolutely. It's like, do you know HTML? Can you put together an email and a newsletter? I mean, mm-hmm. can you take pictures? Can you edit them? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all that stuff is um, is real. Oh, it is, and especially like, you know, like we, we especially in, in your fields, and um, you see a lot of like influencers now. They're posting content that's replicated from something else, but then you don't see like a different style. Like, yeah, you can do this, 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 but how do you differentiate it to yourself? What are your soft skills yeah, that you right. into it? And you can kind of yeah. see that through the public. I mean, I always say like, you know, the first mm. step is R&D, which mm. is, uh, you know, research and duplicate. Mm. It's, uh, you know, I mean, you need to be able to copy whatever the market standard is. And I think that that's, that's the true. first step to innov- mm. innovation is like, well, what's the best thing someone else is doing out there? And let me just start by copying that. Like, but then at some point, like you need to innovate yeah, on top of it because, you know, you've got to come up with your own ideas and be creative. And, you know, that's important. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I always say it's like, look, mm-hmm. let's not start with a blank sheet of paper. Let's go find the best thing someone else is doing and at least copy that. With that, like, I know you're you're very specific on what the Hangar Project does. Like, was that like, um, did it take you a while to get down to that small niche or was it kind of like a... Uh you're like, this is what I'm doing right away. Cause I, I was talking to somebody yeah. uh, and they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm trying to find why, what niche I'm doing too. And I'm interested in knowing like how people get so specific and how they get so to that, what they love. Yeah. I mean, I think there's value and focus, mm-hmm. right. Uh, but I think that you kind of have, there has to be like an oscillation or an ebb and flow between being really focused and then kind of pulling back and expanding a little bit and then like narrowing and tightening. Right. So like we go through these phases of like expansion of like adding a bunch of product and then seeing what sticks and then saying, okay, well that didn't work. That's working. And then focusing back down uh, and being very deliberate and specific. Um, I mean, you know, we started with hangers just cause like, that's what the idea was, you know? And, you know, we couldn't, I mean, I didn't have the money or the capital to really expand beyond that. And then, you know, as we grew, we kind of expanded, we shrunk, we expanded, you know, and you kind of, you know, that's kind of how you grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most definitely, I think um, with that growth, it, it does take time. And then, you know, like, as, as with everything, you just want to throw things on the wall. It's like my parents used to say, just throw ham on the wall. Eventually, you'll find one that sticks. And that's the idea yeah. that you go with. And then... Yeah, but besides that, let's we wanted to just lighten things up a little bit from the business side. I want to ask about since we were talking about luxury and taking care of luxury items, what's your favorite like first luxury item that you you ever bought that you'd say? I know for me it was, I think it was a made to measure suit. Like when I, I was in Vietnam, I made it when when it, it was like my grandma's anniversary, but the, I was so sad because it came <laughs> in a little bit too tight, and then all of a sudden, and it, and I remember my grandma coming in and she was like. Hey, this looks way too tight. Like, what? Like, can, can you make it a little bit more loose? And then the tailor was like, "What do you mean? Your anniversary party's tonight." So then he's like, "I can't do it." And she gave him like, "This." It, my grandmother's known for like giving people death glares. So she gave him this death glare, and, and he knew her very well. She's like, "Okay, um, and okay, and six. I'll make it by tonight." And then, true as his word, he made um my first suit, and then we had it was one of the best made to measure suits I've, I've had, but yeah, with that, yeah. with that being said, that's um, funny. I mean, you know, it's a little embarrassing, but I'll say, you know, the first thing that I ever, 
really spent my money on. And this was in high school. It was like I was 16. It was my first job. And it was like, you know, Banana Republic, stuff from Banana Republic, which, you know, back in 2001 uh, or 19 and 2000, shoot, when was I 16? Probably like 99, nine, you know, something around. I mean, you know, that was like really nice. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like that was like, oh, wow, no, like this really is time. better than The Gap, you know? <laughs> um, uh-huh. And so that probably was my first, you know, if you call that luxury, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, was that like the mall? Um, and then in college, you know, I, I bought, you know, my first nice pair of shoes, you know, that I got on like a, from a closeout guy that basically they were closeouts from Paul Stewart, you know, but like really nice Grinsons. I mean, actually the shoes I'm wearing today are a pair of Grinson penny loafers that I literally bought in college, you know, for like $200, you know, uh, you know, on discount, you know, you're this guy that did closeouts for Paul Stewart. And so, you know, like those small little things, I mean, they really, you know, I mean, gosh, I mean, whenever you save up to like invest in something, you cherish it. It's special. It's meaningful. You take care of it. And the whole genesis for the hangar project is Mm -hmm. that you can afford to invest in quality if you know how to take care of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's important. If you're someone that appreciates quality and meaning, um, then, you know, you're someone that seeks to own fewer things of a higher value or of a higher quality. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, unless you just have unlimited means, that means that you got to restrict and save and uh, spend up. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do it responsibly, like the yeah. whole, the whole mm-hmm. philosophy of that is that you can enjoy it for a long time. No, it's very true. And it's, it's something I know, like for at least, I've, I've grown up with, I think Trent has grown up with too, especially in Asian culture. We, a lot of us came over when we were like younger. I was born and raised here, but my parents came over with nothing. And they're like, they taught me as growing up, like, you know, like if you really cherish something, like how do you cherish it? They told me, well, the biggest way to cherish it is save up for it. And once you buy that luxury item, take care of it. It will last you a lifetime. You don't have to have, you know, like a hundred items of clothing inside your wardrobe, but have a, a select few that come out amazing. And this is how you enjoy enjoy life a little bit. Like you're not lavishly spending on everything yeah. anything that you see. Um, no, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, as I say, like the longer you've had something, the more meaning there is behind it. Um, and so, you know, a suit that you've owned for 10 years or a favorite pair of shoes that you inherited from your grandfather or, you know, just, something that you love and that you've used for a long time, you know, it really kind of becomes a part of you and you develop a relationship with it and it becomes special and it Mm -hmm. creates a depth and a meaning that is totally absent from fast Mm -hmm. fashion and throwaway items. You know, I mean, there's something cheap that's going to break or break down, you know, that's not worth taking care of. You know, there's no meaning to that. And I think that there's really something to be said about surrounding yourself with objects of quality and meaning. No, that's very true. And even for me, like you brought up, like you know, things that are passed down. For me, I have like stuff brought down from brought sorry brought down for me, but for my my dad, my dad from his grandfather, like blazers, suits, and it, and it's amazing. Like when every time you wear it, you're like, oh, like this has some kind of meaning to it. You you feel mm-hmm. a bit more empowered in a way, which is very very nice. And then yeah and. And since we're talking about like luxury hobbies and stuff, 
like what what like outside of like work and stuff would you say like this is like what other hobbies do you do besides the, the hangar project because i know you, you do yeah much i mean and, you know travel. i mean i enjoy you know i mean that more than anything i mean I mean, with children and, you know, with young children, I feel like so much of my free time is just with them that it's like, you know, you kind of become a little bit constrained on, on like, you know, true hobbies, if you will. But, you know, I, I enjoyed smoking a nice cigar and having a nice drink with friends. I mean, that's, of course, one of the things that I really enjoy kind of passing my time doing. Uh, you know, what else? I mean, you know, my business really, um, you know, is kind of a hobby in some ways. Uh, you know, I'd love to learn how to sail or start mm-hmm. sailing again. Ah, okay. Time constraints, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you ever taken your family a sailing? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've rented like a small sailboat kind of here in Dallas and done some stuff. But, I mean, it's just, it all just comes down to kind of time. And it just seems right now, I mean, we're just so focused on young kids that, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a cliche, but mm-hmm. you really kind of give a lot of that up. Um and then just kind of connecting with friends and, you know, I, I enjoy running, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you, do you find your kids miss you a lot sometimes when like you're gone for a while or, or even so they, they don't let you leave or anything? Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate to spend a lot of time with my kids. So whenever I get out, you uh-huh. know, boy, I don't look back. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. And just bal- balancing with yeah. all that, I, I know you have the business, the family, and stuff like that. Do you kind of just uh, schedule it out, or do you kind of like um, kind of go about it every day, kind of differently? Yeah, I mean, that's. I'd say that my first and foremost priority is um, family. So I'd say that uh, you know the biggest challenge is kind of fighting for time to work. Mm. Uh, just because, uh, you know, push comes to shove, I'm going to kind of spend time, you know, raising my children. Um, you know, great examples of the homeschooling thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I spend, you know, at least three to four hours every morning, you know, homeschooling them. And, you know, at, am I doing less at work because of that? Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. kids are a little bit of a competitive disadvantage, you know, for parents. It's like, well, you know, uh, if you've got young kids, like you've got less time to work than someone that's young and single and no kids. Um, so I think that, you know, for young people out there, it's like, you know, really work as much as you can, you know, uh, before you have kids, because it's uh, a pretty singular opportunity to do 12 hour days and, you know, to really kind of build something. Yeah, most definitely. And then is it hard to coordinate that with you? Well, in a, you and your wife coordinate. But yeah, I mean, she worked also. Well. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's hard is. to coordinate. I mean, it mm-hmm. definitely would be easier for me if she didn't work. And I know I was yeah. looking through kind of switching gears, of course, but looking at YouTube and your Instagram, like did that, with that fall in, did it take your time? And I know you talked about engagement before to just meeting new people. Did, uh, would that, would you say that's like your, uh, one key thing, I'm just engaging with people. And then, of course, the following will build year after year kind of type. Now, you know, I really wish that um, it was faster. I mean, you know, the YouTube channel, we've got, what, 140,000 subscribers. You know, we're kind of pushing 150. I mean, uh, there's just some people that, like, the YouTube algorithm just throws love and views. Mm. And that kind of never been mm-hmm. our case 
I always felt like uh, they're discriminating against me for some reason or something. <laughs> I always felt for the quality of our content, like we should be reaching way more people uh, because yeah. we put a lot of work into our content. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really professional quality. I mean, we've got a full-time production studio of three people that do our work and it's all, I mean, they're all a hundred percent in-house. And uh, I think that we put out some absolutely exceptional mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, so it's been slow and steady. Anyone that's listening, youtube.com slash Kirby Allison, go subscribe. Because uh, I really feel like we put out some absolutely great stuff. And as we're kind of getting to the our end of our hangout session here, just we always want to leave it with like what encouragement you want to give to the audience. Everybody that's listening, kind of going through similar uh, journey as yours or even a different path, but they're kind of seeking um, kind of that passion, being able to be successful at it and kind of. Yeah. Almost following your footsteps. What we just kind of yeah. I mean, I think that the I think the most important point is, or that I could share to, to someone that's aspiring to do something is, um, you know, to keep your eyes open and really pay attention to the your peripheral vision. I mean, if you're too myopically focused on one point in the future, you really miss the opportunities that you're surrounded with. Mm. And so, I think it's the maintaining perspective and really. Um, you know, I mean, focus is really important, but you also have to kind of, you know, lift your head up every one, once in a while and kind of look at the world around you. And, you know, if I was too myopically focused at some point in the future, I totally would have missed the hangar project. I mean, that was like, you know, I mean, it almost had to slap me in the face, I suppose. But, um, you know, so that's what I'd say. And then I think just meeting people and just interacting with others and seeking out feedback and information and just what others have to say. I mean, you know, the sooner and more aggressively you can do that, uh, the better. And, um, you know, I'd say that that's not to be done in a superficial like way. I mean, you know, building meaningful, authentic relationships with people, you know, having a few of those will pay more dividends than having, you know, like a Rolodex of a million people, you know, you've met and are, know on LinkedIn, you know, like that's not going to do anything for you. Mm. But real meaningful, deep relationships. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, are something to, I mean, those are real assets. No, and, and I vouch for that, especially like I've seen like a lot of YouTubers um, online and yours is very different, especially like you're not always in front of a screen and there's a backdrop, but you're actually traveling places. You're going places, you're beating people, you're interviewing people. It's a very different kind of like feel from like other channels you see. And it is absolutely amazing to be, and this is uh, honestly, because I've seen you since I've seen you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. No, that's really true. And then, yeah, that's especially for me going through my, my professional years, working through the oil industry, going through neuromarketing industries. I think it's it's, it's very true in, in this society that you, you know, you want to create those genuine relationships and, and build that, especially with social media. You see it a lot. It's just like quick comments just so they can gain followers, but you don't build that. You don't see a lot of that genuine relationship yeah. anymore. So I think that's a really um, point. So that's, I mean, authenticity and just meaning. I mean, again, I mean, just that, I mean, there's a few handful of people that were customers that I became friends with that have had profound yeah. impacts on the trajectory of my business. Mm -hmm. And especially anyone that's older that you can share a common interest with uh, really opens up the opportunity for a very meaningful kind of deep relationship. Um, and so that's one of the beauties of kind of passions is that, you know, hobbies and passions, you know, really are, um, you know, they um, are kind of, I don't want to say transnational, but it's like, you know, they're, they're agnostic to age. 
you know, a 22 year old can be as passionately in love with fly fishing as a 65 year old that you share and really bond around, but then you gain the perspective and all the wisdom of someone that's 65 years old, kind of all the other things that's going on in your life. And then to our audience, uh, yeah, that's very true. where would you want people to find you, Kirby, or how can they find you? Um, yeah, well, with- the best way is, um, you know, KirbyAllison.com. And then, um, and we're just, you know, kind of about to rebrand from Hanger Project to Kirby Allison. So um, we're HangerProject.com right now, but probably by the time this publishes, we'll be KirbyAllison.com. And then youtube.com slash Kirby Allison and then just Kirby Allison on Instagram. No, and, and that's very, that's very true. You know, that's especially like, you know, especially I think a lot of like younger kids grow up, they don't see that. It's almost like, oh, I can do this. I could do this by myself. But then as you get kind of like older, you realize like you know, just these experiences that, you know, an older generation learned that that passed down to you is just completely amazing that you don't even think that, oh, I never really thought of that, but they've gained throughout their lifetime. Like little things, for example, like, the way they fasten the belt or changing like the just a slight roll in the lapel like like why did you come up with that like i've never yeah. seen that before or how to tie your shoelaces i mean one of our most popular videos is a Rudy knot and uh, <laughs> i literally learned that from a good friend yeah. of mine over dinner at his house mm-hmm. with his father <laughs> like oh you know uh-huh. i've never told you about the yeah, knot that yeah. olga berludi taught us how to tie and i was like oh <laughs> oh, <let's see> you. <laughs> you're like a tie knot <laughs> and then you question everything yeah, it's like, like am i tying no i mean really it's like time? yeah <laughs> what i mean it's like i learned how to tie my shoes whenever i was six years old it's like well you know um, little do you know what you're missing and it's um uh-huh. you know it's funny a guy uh who's a big skateboarder actually did a mm-hmm. video referencing this knot in the video that we filmed he was like you wouldn't think that me as a skateboard dude uh-huh. would have anything to learn from kirby allison you know the you know kind of the poster child for you know classic menswear but you know lo and behold his berluti yeah. knot works just as well for my skate shoes as it does for his dress shoes it's <laughs> <laughs> very cool though and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier too like seeing different things that you can learn from copy it and then make it yeah or just take from other people it's like yeah there's no shame and like Mm -hmm. learning as much from other people it's like that's like look why would i want to learn something myself Mm -hmm. if i could just have someone else teach it to me you know no yeah for everyone who's listening that's how you do it you want to learn to tie that knot go there too as well listen to those live stream um and then thank you so much for joining us today i know yeah peter thank you yeah no of course like I know you probably run into another thing to do oh, right now or have family. Oh. So man, we're we're greatly uh, grateful to have you on uh, and to share your experience with everybody. Because I know people already asked me, but like, hey, let me know when that's out because I want to know how that came to be, and I'm interested in that already. And it hasn't even we haven't even recorded yet, so it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, well, hit uh, me up on Instagram, <laughs> and um, so I can follow you guys also. And um, yeah, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. And then I believe you have my Instagram oh, there already. Kirby. So we're been already ahead of me there, Peter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you again. It's crazy. Um, yeah, cool, guys. Well, best of luck. Stay safe and healthy. And, um, you know, stay in touch. Absolutely. We will, Kirby. Okay. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah no worries. Well, yeah, thank well, Sounds good. Thank you so much, Kirby. And um, well, we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. And if we're at... 
if you're ever in Colorado, feel free to let us know and we'll show you the amazing places. That oh yeah. Gosh, Colorado. I love that place. I mean, well. just, I wish I was, uh, you know, outdoors hiking right now or kind yeah. of woods or something because, um, you know, oh, yeah. no, no better time to be camping. Mm-hmm. Pandemic. No, it's beautiful <laughs> woods right now, especially the snow. Yeah, buddy. If, if you ever come out here, if you ever ski a snowboard, too, <laughs> as well, we'll definitely go to places where like, not, I guess not a touristy place. We'll find some hole in the wall places and we'll have food too as well. Oh yeah. Um, well, so. count me, count me up on for that. I definitely, <laughs> you know, soon, you know, gosh, hopefully we're all traveling again. Yeah. 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 We, we love to travel. Mm-hmm. And if we're ever in Dallas, Texas, we'll definitely like just um, try to at least swing by and say hi. Grab, yeah, grab please. Like that. Always um, welcome. And then I just went ahead and followed you on IG too as well. Peter's already on there, but we'll get, We'll get everything going and make sure everybody, our audience, will tie this into our audience where they can find you too as well. 